Our Heavenly Father, we bow here in your presence. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of coming together to worship you. I pray now for us as a church that, Father, not only will we continue to be drawn together in unity, but, Father, also that our hearts will be lifted up today as we come into your presence and just to worship you and to thank you and to praise you. Father, we pray now for those that are hurting and sick among us, and I pray your blessings, your healing, and your protection on them. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't we all be seated? It's good to see all of you here this morning. Um, I know we have some that are sick. We just need to pray they don't get the coronavirus. And uh, I haven't heard any of uh, it being local, but you never know. Um, How many of you would consider yourselves to be religious? Do you think of yourself as being religious? You're not real sure whether to raise your hand or not, are you? You're not sure what I'm going to say. All right, let me reword it and do it another way, okay? Whenever you hear the word religious, what comes to mind? Whenever you hear someone say, well, that person over there, they're religious. What do you think of? What comes to your mind? Think about that for a moment. Some of us are probably saying, well, a religious person is somebody that believes in God, somebody that goes to church. A religious person is somebody that prays, gives their money to church and to charities and things. A religious person wears gold crosses on their chains around their neck. Religious people are strict. Any number of things that you could say that somehow describes what you think that a religious person is. Now, why do you think that? Why do you think of those things? Well, probably because you think to yourself, that's what I've always seen religious people look like. They act like. A religious person looks like that. They do those things. You know, this past week I was watching the news, and uh, they had on the news, they were uh, having an interview with Steve Scalise. Now, Steve Scalise is the congressman that was shot a few years back, if you recall. And he was on there talking about something, but the first thing that I noticed was this big black spot on his forehead. I'm thinking, boy, they did a sorry makeup job on him. What is that? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It was Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And this was something that, uh, you know, the Catholics do. Um, There may be others, I'm not sure, but I know the Catholics are, are into this. And they, they put the ashes on their forehead as a sign of a repentant heart um, during this season. That's a religious act. Now, if you looked at Steve on the TV, you would say, well, Steve Scalise is a religious person because I see this symbolic act of putting ashes on his forehead. Therefore, I know that he's a, a religious person. Now, the truth be told, most people are religious. They are. Even people who claim not to believe in God still are religious if you examine their lives. And what we're talking about today are people that we're, we're, we're focused primarily on people that are believers, people that are Christians, and discussing the religion aspect of this. That is the practice of what you do outwardly. It's not so much what you believe in your heart, it is what you practice in your everyday lives, what, the, the way in which you express what you believe. Let me give you an example. Not um, If you can line up a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal, a Catholic, and go on and on, and look at their lives, and you could take people who believe in the true gospel of Christ, that Jesus was born of a virgin, died on a cross for your sins, was resurrected again the third day, and he's coming back. 
And yet their expressions of their faith would be different. The Catholics, you know, put the ashes on their forehead. They have priests in robes. They use bells in their services and different things that they do. Baptists do something quite different. And then again, Methodists are different and Presbyterians. Not only are they different in the way in which they conduct their Sunday services, but they're different in the way that they express that in their personal lives as well. So if you were to look at a person like that, you would say, well, um, they're religious, even though the, their practices are different. You know, not all the practices are the same. And again, we're not talking about doctrine here, okay? We're not talking about what the Bible teaches you should or shouldn't do. We're looking at areas of our lives that may fall into the area of what we call Christian liberty. In other words, I have the, the freedom in Christ to express my love and devotion to God in any way that I want to. There's freedom in that. And it's not a doctrinal issue. It's not something that we can argue about over doctrine, but it's just my efforts in how I show my love for him, my efforts in how I honor him and how I please him. So some people do it by saying, well, I'm going to honor God by not drinking. I'm going to honor God by not dancing. I'm going to honor God by wearing T-shirts with verses on them. I'm going to show my devotion and love for God by wearing a big gold cross on my, uh, my chain around my neck. Or I'm going to honor God by washing my car on Sunday and coming to church. Now, this is a little bit strange, but up in the Midwest, I was pastoring up there, and sure enough, that's what... A, what some of them did. And I asked, I was talking to one of the farmers. Now, these are big industrial farmers. And he said, you know, we were always raised. We live on the farm six days a week, you know, and we are dirty and everything. The car is dirty. And so on Sunday, is it's sort of an act of personal worship that you get your car cleaned on Saturday afternoon. You put on a coat and tie and you come to church because that is an act of worship for us. And I... I thought, well, that's a little different for me, for what I've, the way I've been raised. But you know what? That's, that's okay. Because every activity is not the same, but every activity, every expression of our faith is personal. And that makes up our religious life. Now, religion primarily is looking at the doing, the activities, the expressions. Faith is... You know, pretty much we talk about the faith, we're talking about what is taught in the Bible, and that is pretty black and white. We may argue about that too, that doesn't matter. There's a truth there, we just have to find out what that truth is. But the way in which we express our religious devotion to God (laughs) is different. And it's not always the same, it's our personal effort. It makes us feel better, we hope honors God, it pleases God. Um, We take that by faith, that God is pleased with what we do. The question then becomes, who's right? Who's right? You know, what religious expression is right? What religious expression is wrong? The truth is, they're all right. In other words, unless there's a doctrinal problem when the Bible expressly forbids something or expressly commands something, (coughs) then what I do is personal. And what I do is between me and God. 
in the way in which I live this life and the way in which I show my devotion to my God is rather personal. And um, like I said before, most of our religious activities fall into that area of liberty. You know, when the Apostle Paul was addressing a similar situation in the New Testament, he was dealing with the church at Corinth, and their thing was there were Christians among them who thought that it was a good thing to do to express your love for the Lord and your devotion and what you you know wanted to you wanted to please Him. So a good way to do that was to not eat the meat that was offered to idols. They'd go down to the marketplace and the Pagan temples would offer a big hunk of beef on, on an, to an idol, but then it was still good meat, so they'd take it down and sell it afterwards, after they'd gone through this ritual. Christians were saying, hey, wait a minute, I want to show my love for God by not doing that. I just don't feel comfortable with it. And that was an okay thing for them not to do that. That was their way of showing their devotion. And Paul, as he addresses it, is simply saying, whether you eat it or not, it's not really an issue, because the meat is just meat. And so he says here in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that last phrase kind of captures what we're talking about here. Whether you wear ashes on your forehead or wash your car on a Saturday before you go to church or wear a coat and tie or wear jeans or um, show your devotion and, and your expression of love for God in whatever way you choose, just do it to the honor and the glory of God. And this is where we as Christians get into trouble because sometimes we think, we have the opinion that religious activity should be uniform and it should be the same for everybody because we think in our minds that somehow it's a doctrinal issue. It's either right or it's wrong. And it's neither because we have the freedom in a very large leadway here to express our love to God the way we want to. That's called our religious life, our religious activity. So the question then becomes this. Can our religious expressions ever be considered worthless or of no value? If I'm endeavoring to please God, if I'm endeavoring to show my love for God, if I'm endeavoring to give a testimony to the people that see my life, that I love the Lord with all my heart, and these simple expressions hopefully will convince you of that and help you to see that there's value in a relationship with the Lord. If I'm doing this then, is there ever a time when God says, eh, I'm not really pleased with that. That's worthless. And the answer is, yeah, there is. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Because there's a time and place where God basically says, what you're doing is devoted as you may be, is of no value. It's no value to me. It's no value to you. It's worthless. And there's some reasons behind it. It's not what you were doing like I said earlier, that's personal. It's just your expression. But God says, nah, there's some other things. There's some other things that you should be doing that you're not. There's some other ways that you express to me your love and devotion that you're not. And so I'm not real excited by what, you're, what you are doing. And you need to take a look at these things. 
So today I want to look at four instances that are mentioned here in this book of James. When our religious activities are said to be worthless, of no value. Another way of looking at it, another way of saying it is we want to look at four things that God desires more than our religious expressions. Now please understand, let me repeat again, there is nothing inherently wrong with the way you express your faith your religion, so to speak, the practical aspect of your faith. But we leave out some things that God says are more important. And just because we look like good Christians outwardly by the religious expressions that we portray, God says there's some things that are wrong. And we need to deal with this. And it's almost as if we're bringing a sacrifice or an offering to God. I'm doing this for you, God. We call it all the time, an offering of praise and sacrifice and things like that. But God says, no, I don't really want that. Because there are some other things you need to address first. So we're looking at these priorities. We're looking at these things that you and I need to address first. So the question we're going to answer then is, when is your religion worthless? When is it really worthless according to James? And here we go. Number one, our religion is worthless if we don't control the things we say. If I can't control my tongue and the way that I talk to people, then my religious expressions are worthless as far as me trying to draw closer to God by doing them. They're worthless as far as me trying to gain some favor from God by doing them. They're worthless as far as me trying to put forth a positive Christian testimony or witness by doing them. Because if I can't control the way I speak to people and the things that I say, then it doesn't really matter what I do. It doesn't carry any weight, not with God and not with other people. And so this is the reason why here in James chapter 1 verse 26, we're going to be looking at these next five or six verses. He says this, he said, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Now that's pretty straightforward. I consider myself to be religious. I look at myself and I think, Lord, I'm doing this for you. So I come to church, I sing the praises, I give my money, I pray, I do all the things that good Christian people do in expressing their faith and their worship back to God. And there are going to be times when God looks at us and says, well, wait a minute. You remember all the gossiping you've been doing this week? You remember all the pain you've caused by saying things about people that were hurtful? Do you remember the sarcastic remark you made to that lady there that day? Do you remember the coarse joking and the foul language and the other things you've done this week? Then don't come to me with your religious practices expecting my blessing on you because there's something else over here you've got to deal with. And see, that's this really where we're going with this, okay? It's not either or. It's not that one is good and one is bad. It's God saying to you, before we get to that, what you're offering up, let's go back and deal with this that's really important to me. Because right now what you're doing is of no value because I'm not really accepting it. And so your religious practice then, you've got to go back 
and you've got to take care of the things that are important to God. And God says right here that if you consider yourself to be religious and you can't control your tongue, then you're deceiving yourself. You're not really religious. You're not practicing your religion the way that I want you to. And it says that your religious efforts, your religion, is worthless. Now, worthless, what does that mean? Well, basically, it means vain. That's the interpretation. Uh, Vain or empty or useless or fruitless. Uh, That's where we're going with this. He's saying it's just not producing what you are hoping it will. Now, there are two things that stand out in this little verse here that catch my attention. Number one is this, that according to this verse, you can control what you say. You can. He says, you've got to keep a tight rein on what you say. Now, see, some of us don't like that because we want to keep on thinking that somehow it can't be controlled. And and God says, well, yeah, it can. As I look at this, another thing that sticks out to me is this, that you don't have to say what you think. I don't know what it is about us, but we think sometimes that if, you know, we get to the point where I've just got to say what I think, and it doesn't matter who it hurts, doesn't matter who it levels, you know, I've just got to say it because I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm going to say it. And then we start spewing out poison. He says, when you do this, now watch, when you don't keep a tight rein on it, you're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. You're telling yourself that you can't do this, and I'm telling you, you can. You should not have gossiped about that person that you know very little about. You shouldn't have said anything. Somebody told you that in confidence. You should have kept it to yourself, but you didn't. You wanted to tell everybody. You got mad the other day and you said some things that were painful, hurtful, destructive, and you didn't need to say it. You felt like so-and-so was doing something they shouldn't have been doing, and it's okay to confront somebody in the right way at the right time with the proper words. But no, you just blew it off and just went like a bull in a china shop. Now you've destroyed them. Now, you tell me, is basically what God is saying, which is more important, that you go to church, read your Bible, and pray, or that you go over here and do the right thing when it comes to your mouth? Because your mouth is getting you in trouble, and it is ruining your testimony as a believer. And all of the religious trappings, all of the expressions of your faith that are important to you, and important to me, God says, you're nullifying them by the way you're speaking and talking and the things you're doing. Now, we, if we had the time, could go into depth on all of what that looks like, but I'm going to leave that up to you tonight. When you get into your groups, you can talk about other examples of how we let our tongues get us into trouble, okay? But maybe you can think of some other examples. But just suffice to say that we ruin our testimony on all of the good things that we do as far as our religious activity in life. We, we ruin it by the things that we say with our, our mouth. So get a tight rein on your tongue. That's the first one. Second is this. Our religion is worthless if we ignore people who are in need. If we ignore people who are in need. Now watch this, okay? Chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. He goes on to say in the next verse, Religion that God our Father accepts 
as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now notice what he says. He says, this is what God accepts as pure and faultless. Nobody can find fault with this. You know, nobody can point a finger and say you shouldn't be doing that. When, the, when you're involved in this part of displaying your faith, your religious activity, he says, this is what is acceptable, that you're caring for widows and orphans. Now, why do you think, now think about this, okay? Why do you think that James talks about widows and orphans and didn't just say people in need in general? Why do you think he zeroes in on widows and orphans? Remember when we started this series and I told you the setting and I told you what was going on in the world? James is writing and he's writing to people that are scattered all throughout the known world because of the persecution. People have died through this persecution and women have been left widowed and parents have been killed leaving orphans on their own. James is saying that you as believers, you want to talk about your religious life? You want to talk about what loving me looks like? You want to talk about what I value? He said, you take care of those people. You help those people. I don't care how much of your Bible you read a day if you're ignoring them. You know, I don't care what you wear to church on Sunday. I don't care about the big gold cross or the ashes on your forehead. None of that matters if you are ignoring those needs. And so he's saying, religion is a good thing. It's you displaying and expressing your love for me. But here's the way I want you to do it. You know, when Jesus was talking to Peter, remember that? After Peter had denied him, and Jesus is now resurrected, and they're on the bank of the lake or the, the, the Sea of Galilee, and there, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter kept saying, yes, Lord, I love you. And then three times he said, then feed my sheep. You know, he never said, if you love me, then go to church. He never said, Peter, if you love me, then give your money. He said, Peter, if you love me, wear the ashes on your forehead or whatever other religious trappings may be. He said, Peter, if you love me, then do this. See, that was an expression, religious expression, really, to feed the sheep, to take care of their needs. He's not saying that the other things don't have value. He's just saying, if I ignore this, then the other is meaningless. Um, we can broaden this out to people that are in need. They're all around us. And when God, through his Holy Spirit, speaks to your heart and lays, lays a, a need on you, and you, you are caught by it, by it, you're captured by it, your, your attention is drawn to it, and you walk away from it without doing anything, then understand that God is saying everything else you do is worthless in comparison because you're deceiving yourselves and you're ignoring the things that are really important. Now, I've got to move on. Here's number three. Again, you can flesh these out tonight in your small groups, okay? Number three, our religion is worthless if, if we act like an unbeliever. When I act like an unbeliever and participate in things that are ungodly, then it really doesn't matter all the good that I do in life. The only thing that people understand and see and judge and so forth is the sin that is there. Notice here, and I'm going to read the rest of verse 27. Let me read the whole verse for you here in verse 27. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, watch, let's finish it. He says, now, and to keep one's self from being polluted by the world. God says to you and me, look, all the good things that you do in your religious expressions are meaningless if you go out and live like an unbeliever the rest of the week. Guys, we all, we've all experienced it. We've seen people, we know people in the community that come into our churches on a Sunday morning dressed to the nines and with their big Bibles under their arms who were out drinking and carousing on Friday and Saturday doing things they shouldn't have been doing, living like people that they're not. And he says, listen, uh, this is what religion looks like. This is what I want. I want you to be unpolluted by the world. Pollution. Uh, just think of that, okay? How many times have you been on, listening to the, the news and they'll say, well, this town over here the, has some problems with the water pressure and the water pressure dropped and now we don't know if pollution has gotten back into the water so you've got to boil your water for a while. Because it only takes a little bit of pollutants to go into the water to mess it all up. And he's saying basically to you and me that, look, you need to understand that you participate in things that are ungodly. And it may be very minuscule. It may be very small. But you need to understand what it does to your life. And it pollutes your life. It's like mixing two worlds. And it only takes a little bit. And when people see that and they know about it and they know you're, now you've heard this before, you're those hypocrites in church because they know what you were doing during the rest of the week and the sin that was in your life then. And then you go to church and you act like a different person and you're considered to be a hypocrite. Your witness is ruined. Your religion is worthless. Now here again, Nowhere in this, in this passage does James question their faith. Understand that. You're going to see here in a minute where he considers them brothers in Christ. He's not questioning that. He's questioning their lifestyle, their religious practices. He's saying that's what's worthless if you ignore the weightier things. When you act like an unbeliever, you have no effective witness. You come across like a hypocrite. And you displease God. He says it right here. It's worthless. So it's serious. And this is something that you and I need to consider and to, to take a good look at. Number four, very quickly, let's go to that one. Our religion is worthless if we judge people according to their value. If we judge people according to their value. Now listen. Some people think that the Bible teaches you should not judge, and that is not true. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that you shouldn't judge lest you be judged, and if you're going to judge and take the beam out of your, or the speck out of your brother's eye, in other words, help him with his problem, you better get the beam out of yours first, and then you can go help him. Never says don't go. Never says don't pass a judgment. Never says you can't do that. He says just take care of your problems first and then you're free to go. Now, when I talk about don't uh, judge according to a person's value, now this is different, okay? We're passing judgment on people according to who they are, what they have to offer, their value to us personally, their value to our church, their value to society. Now watch. 
In chapter 2, we're going to move into chapter 2. Watch with verse 1. My brothers and sisters. Let's watch. See, he's, he's never questioning their faith. He said, you're my brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Favoritism. What does that mean? Well, he's saying you're, you're choosing favorites. You're treating people differently based on who they are, their popularity, their money, their financial status, their cleanliness, their whatever. Uh, you just look at somebody, you size them up, and you pass judgment on whether they're worth your time and effort. It goes on now in verses 2 through 4. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and you say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you, you stand there or, or come sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not, now watch this, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. See, there's the catch. You size somebody up and you made a discriminating judgment call based on who they are, what they look like, what they have to offer. And you're judging with evil thoughts. You're judging according to value. And see, Christians, sometimes we do that. We do that. People that are struggling, people that are hurting, people that have needs. Christians sometimes look down their noses at those people. And we size somebody up pretty fast. And we make a judgment call on whether they're worth our time or not. And then we'll be the ones to sing the praises to God the loudest. Pray so everybody can see. Put the gold chains on, all being an expression of who we are. And God says when you do that and ignore that person, then all of these religious trappings are worthless to me, of no value. See, I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. I don't want that for our church. Let me finish this out, these last couple of verses. He says here in verses 5 through 7, he says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? He's never questioning their faith. He's questioning their religion. He's saying, why do you honor the wealthy when the wealthy are the ones that mistreat you? There's nothing wrong with wealth. Wealth or poverty does not dictate who a person is. In this particular setting, it was all about class, though. 
In other words, if you were, had a position in society, you were special. Anything below that, you weren't. So like I said before, there's no middle class here. It's rich or poor. And it's usually the rich that mistreat the poor. He's saying in the church, it should not be that way. It should not be that way. So let me wrap this up and summarize this, okay? There are four sinful actions that are mentioned here. Any one of the four nullifies, now listen to this, nullifies all of my other religious endeavors. All of my other religious expressions, activities. That I come, now this is what you need to understand. I come to God in honesty and sincerity of heart to worship and honor Him and lift Him up. When I put that t-shirt on that talks about being a Christian, I do that because I want people to see who I am and to know that I'm a believer. I come to church and I sing the praises and I go through the activities of worship because I want people to know who I am. I read my Bible and I talk about it uh, at work and so forth because I want people to know who I am. I want a positive Christian testimony. I want to be an influence in this world. But God says, wait a minute, pay attention. Because if you can't control your tongue, if you are living like the world lives, if you are selfish in not caring about people in need, and if you're judging people based on their value or what you perceive to be their value, then what makes you think that these other things make me happy? And see, it's not either or, it should be both. And all I'm asking, and what I'm encouraging you to do here today and challenging you with this, that what you believe in your heart, and we all believe the same gospel, we all believe in the same Jesus, we all believe and worship Him together. But my religion, has to show that faith. My religion has to display it. Like the series, that the name of the series, when I started this in James, I named this series, Practice What You Preach. Because all through this book, that's what he's saying. Every part of James, he's saying you need to practice in your religious endeavors what you know in your heart to be true. And so I encourage you, all of us, that we seek to show our faith in God and our trust in the Lord Jesus through the things that matter to God, the things that are important to Him, through things like this that is mentioned here in James. And that's not all. There are many, many other things. Because when I... When I go to the Lord in prayer, I want God listening to me. I want to know that what I'm doing in this life pleases my God. And I've got to understand that all of the things that we put forth as expressions of our faith, we've got to focus in on the ones that God says are important to Him. 
And it always involves people. It really does. It always involves people. So the challenge is that we become that kind of a person, that kind of a worshiper, that kind of a religious person. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be in heaven, I want you just to listen for a few minutes. Just sit quietly and listen. I want to show you this verse. The verse is in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what it says. It says that He saved us not because of of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now the verse is important. If you look at it, you'll see. Because He's saying to you and me, anybody, that God did not save you because of righteous things that you did. See, this is the beauty of grace. That God chose to save you in spite of yourself. And he didn't say, hey, if you measure up, if you do this, I'll, I'll save you. He said, come to me just the way you are. Put your faith in me that I died on a cross for you. Trust me and I'll save you. And why? Because of his mercy, according to this. His grace, His mercy, God's saying, I want to give you this as a tremendous gift. That's what salvation is. Salvation is never by works. You have works of righteousness or works of any kind. It's simply by faith. He says you have been washed by rebirth. That when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are cleansed from you. The guilt is gone. You have been born again, according to the Scriptures. And the renewal by the Spirit, the Spirit of God comes into you the moment you put your faith in Christ. You are indwelt by the Spirit. And you are brought to life. That's what salvation is. Everything that comes after that is a religious expression of what we believe. Important, absolutely. But the two are, are, are distinctly different. Salvation is my gift that God has given me. My religious expression is my act of worship to the God that saved me. But before you can ever get to the the worshiping, you've got to begin with faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. As you sit here this morning, if there's any doubt in your mind about your salvation, that if you were to die today, you'd be with the Lord in heaven, then settle it right here, right now. You understand that you're a sinner and you understand that Jesus died on a cross for you. Put your faith in that. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's God's gift. Accept it. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. God made it simple. It's not easy because we keep rejecting it. But it is simple. Trust Him and be saved. Our Heavenly Father, we bow here before You. We're humbled, Father, just the reality of what You've done for us. Just the reality of You dying on a cross for us and that, Father, we have faith, uh, we have salvation because of our faith. Lord, I pray for each one of us, all of us, that, Father, as we express our gratitude to You in our religious endeavors, However we choose to do that, Father, that it would be pleasing to you. 
because we have also taken care of the weightier matters as well. The way we talk to people, the way we treat people, the things that we participate in in life. And because we've taken care of the weightier, more important issues, you accept our expressions, our religious expressions of faith and love. So, Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.